All right. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Valley. Great to have you here today. I am clearly not Dr. Greg. My name is Pastor Randy. I am subbing in. It is my pleasure to sub in today. Greg is on his way to the airport as we speak. They're going off. Him and Susie are going off to a conference. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here and I'm sharing week number three of a series called Warrior. This, this, this series is kind of about the, it is about the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. So this is like a way, way long time ago before Jesus was ever kind of incarnate in the flesh. This is something that, that took place in the Old Testament. How many, uh, how many people, how many people know that the Old and the New Testament, uh, they go together like this. They kind of fit each other like a glove. I, I think if I'm honest, there's been times where I look at the Old Testament and I'm kind of a little bit intimidated of it because there's a lot of stuff going on back there that I don't quite understand. I don't know if anybody else has ever felt that or experienced that before. Um, if you've never experienced that before, I welcome you to read like the book of Leviticus. You will get a weird uh, kind of a culture clash. There's, there's a lot of things that were going on, um, which are interesting. And they're kind of, I would say some of those, some of those ways are, are in the past. They'll never come back again, but they really do point forward from their time back there to Jesus. Everything in that Old Testament really is pointing to Jesus. And what, part of what I want to do today is, is kind of break that open a little bit, kind of talk about how those two things, the Old and the New Testament, they fit together like this, and that they really are kind of speaking to each other and combined are, are an extra powerful word. So week number three of Warrior, talking about Joshua, talking about Jericho, um, but before I get there, just because, just because Old Testament can be a little bit difficult, I, I want to I take a couple moments to, to try to set this up. And um, I just kind of ask that you guys are with me because, because uh, how many of you guys know that we serve an unlimited God, but a, but a preacher only has a limited amount of time? Amen. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to do the best that I can without kind of just hopping in the car and slamming it in the fifth and hoping you guys are with me. I want to try and walk uh, into this a little bit and, and take our time but just kind of know that I have to set it up a little bit before we get to where we're going. Um, back in the day, Old Testament style, before Jesus came, before the word became flesh and dwelt among us, as it says in the book of John, uh, the Israelites, they were, they were in Egypt. They were in bondage in Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt. And God delivered them through miraculous signs and wonders. God was with his people even back then and delivered them from Pharaoh and delivered them all the way to this Red Sea. You guys have heard these stories before, a lot of you, right? The Red Sea is like this impossible to pass barrier and God made a way where there was no way, right? He was the way maker. That's why we sing a lot of these songs that we sing is that God is, we're just trying to sing the praises of God, how he can make the impossible possible. So he opened the way across the Red Sea. He, he brought the people, he brought his people in to uh, the desert and was actually guiding them around everywhere they went. If you've read that part of the New Testament, you'll know that God was with them kind of in some interesting ways. He was with them in the pillar of cloud, it says. So during the day in the deserts, there would be this big pillar of cloud. It was the presence of God and it would shield the people because how many of you know desert is like hot and the sun is blazing and boiling. So God would protect his people in this pillar of cloud. In the same way, at nighttime, when it gets cold in the deserts, God would actually provide 
a pillar of fire. He was there in a pillar of fire. So it was, it was heat and it was also light and protection. And it's the Bible's way of talking about how God was with them no matter the crazy situation and season. They were in the wilderness and God led them. They, he was a protector and a guide. In the Old Testament, in that same kind of wilderness time, uh, in that pillar of cloud and fire, what would happen is the Israelites would follow that wherever it went. God showed up in the pillar of cloud and fire and basically told them, wherever I go, wherever you see this pillar of cloud go, you follow it. And wherever it stops, you're going to stop and make camp. And that's how they traveled through the desert for 40 years. They were actually following this pillar of cloud. Anywhere that it went, they would follow it. And wherever it stopped, the Bible said that they would pitch their, their, their tent there, their camps there, and they would stay there. And they would stay there up until the presence of God would get up and move, right? And then they would follow that on to the next destination. And I think when I read the word sometimes, I think of how easy my life, how much easier my life would be if God would just show it to me like that and would just be like this kind of pillar of cloud or pillar of fire experience and would just show me where to go. Don't rely on me. Like, I'm going to mess it up. Show me with my eyes. I'm slow to hear. I, I, I sometimes, am, you know, get stuck in unbelief. Like, sometimes I think it would be so much easier that God would just show me. He would just guide me. If I'm saying, God, that you would guide me through this situation, it would be like this manifest presence of God would be like, yes, this way and not that way kind of a thing. Anybody feel like maybe their life would be easier if God just cut down on the choices and just was like, this is the way. This is the way. Follow me. So back then it was kind of like that. And God spoke to his people using Moses. And he brought Moses and he said, Moses, I want you to create this thing called the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle is not a comfortable word to preach about from stage because ain't nobody really knows what a tabernacle is. It's not something that we use in our everyday conversation, tabernacle. But it's really a big tent. It's like a portable temple. And God spoke to Moses. God did something crazy with Moses. He said, Moses, I'm going to show you beyond what your natural eyes can see. I want to reveal things to you that are in heaven beyond your natural eyes. And what you see in heaven, I want you to take that and I want you to make a copy and a shadow of that here on earth. So what he saw in heaven, he endeavored to create, to have created on earth. Does that sound familiar to anybody who maybe knows the Lord's Prayer? God, give us this day our daily bread. Talking about your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven, right? Be here on earth as it is in heaven. They were doing that back then. God was speaking to, to Moses and said, build this thing on earth as you see it in heaven. So then Moses made this thing. So we're going to look at that real quick. That's just setting it up. I hope you guys are still with me. Just kind of setting it up as we're about to get into this Jericho conversation. Because this is it right here. That is not it right there. There we go. It was close. Is that even from my message? I don't even know what message that was from. All right. Yeah. Where's that tech guy? <laughs> Yeah, uh, so this is talking about the, this, this tabernacle. And I want to walk kind of slowly through this because there are deep truths hidden inside things like this. If, if God is saying to Moses, I open in your eyes so you can see things in heaven and I want you to copy them and make like a shadow of them on earth, then we should be able to look at this thing and see some things that are speaking symbolically about what's going on in heaven. A shadow is like if you have the lights, if that was a little bit brighter, or this was maybe a little darker, if I hold my hand up like this, you would see the shadow of my hand perfectly over here. The shadow isn't the exact same thing as my actual hand, but this tabernacle, this 
portable temple that God had Moses make was a shadow of things that are in heaven. So let's read about it a little bit. It says in Hebrews here, there were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room was a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. Now, the temptation here is to be like, what? Like a lamp and some bread? Okay. But if they're symbols of something greater, if God is speaking sometimes through symbols about things in the heavenly that we can't quite see, we will realize some things here. So the lampstand is what? It's the menorah. That's actually where it comes from and why the Jews have this menorah thing. It actually comes from this. So the light of God. First room in the tabernacle has this menorah that represents the light of God. And on the table, there's the bread. And it's the bread of life. It speaks about God's provision. It speaks about even God's body because God himself is our provision. Deep, deep symbols that were baked in even back then that were symbolizing great truths about things we can't quite see with our own eyes. And that room with those two things, the lamp and the bread, it was called the holy place. And then in the second room, there was a curtain, a divider between the two rooms, right? A divider. And behind that curtain was the second room. It was called the most holy place. You might have heard it referred to as the holy of holies. Anybody ever heard that before? Back in the day, churches used to sing songs about the holies, the holy of holies. In that room is a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I don't want to get super lost in the weeds here, talking about all of these symbols and what they, what they stand for and going in depth in that. I, I think it'll suffice to say that the, the, the incense altar, the Bible talks about the incense being like our prayers. Our prayers going up to God. So our prayers are kind of like incense that go up to heaven. You ever seen smoke rise? Incense, that smell, it's like a beautiful smell that rises up to God. And God says, that's like our prayers to him. That's like our prayers to him. And in that room also with that altar of incense is this Ark of the Covenant. This is one of those crazy things when you read in the Old Testament, you're like, what is that? Ark of the Covenant, a big chest, golden. And inside of it was the tablets from Moses from Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, and a jar of the manna that came from heaven that God miraculously provided to his people with. And those are types of things and other stuff, but those are the types of things inside the Ark of the Covenant. And it really represented in a way, it represented the throne of God because the Bible talked about that God would speak, his presence would be there above this Ark of the Covenant and Moses and sometimes the high priest would go in there and Moses especially would communicate with God. God would speak to Moses from above that Ark of the Covenant, which was in that room, divided by a curtain. It was very special. You couldn't just open up that curtain and walk in just like any old person and be like, oh, what's up, God? It's been a while. Hey, where are you at with like my finances? I was praying about this. Nobody would ever think to do that. They actually would only have this high priest go in one time a year. Only once a year would he go behind that curtain and bring offerings and sacrifice to God. And he actually would have bells on. And if the people outside ever heard those bells stop kind of chingling and moving, they would know that he was dead. And they would basically hook him out of there. And I know that sounds crazy and a little bit intimidating, but it speaks something in a symbol about the power of God because the power of God is nothing to play with. 
is not. So as we come to Jericho again, right? As we come to Jericho here, that Ark of the Covenant that was behind the curtain, that throne of God, if you will, where God's presence dwelled among his Israelite people, his chosen people. That Ark of the Covenant, every once in a while, God would say, it's time to take me out from behind these four walls. It's time to take me out because walls and tents and all this stuff could never actually contain God. Do you hear me? So sometimes it would be like, time to take the presence of God out. And they would follow behind this Ark of the Covenant. And that's actually how they entered into the promised land. Behind the Ark of the Covenant being carried. They, would, they followed it into the promised land. And they actually brought it with them to Jericho. Now inside Jericho is a, is a woman named Rahab, who Dr. Greg spoke about last week. She's a, a prostitute. And Greg actually used a message about a prostitute to reaffirm the position of women in church and throughout history. Uh, I think it's a good message, although I also think that it ruffled some feathers a little bit. We got a little bit of feedback. That's okay. Because anything that you hear sometimes that forces you to go and double check and look in the word to make sure what you're hearing is true. Awesome. And do you know why birds actually ruffle their feathers a little bit sometimes? Because there'll be like some dust and some dirt get up in there. Maybe some mites, some little bugs or something. So sometimes when they're kind of ruffling their feathers a little bit, it helps them to kind of air it out. So if every once in a while in church you hear something, you're like, ah, I don't know. Sometimes that's healthy. And then you go to the Word and you double check it and you're like, oh, actually it does say that. I never realized that before. And the thing about the Word is that it's living and active, the Bible says. So sometimes you read something 100,000 times and it's like in the back of your head, you're like, ah, oh, this again. Walls of Jericho again. <laughs> but then all of a sudden you read it for that 100,000th and first time and God is like jumping off the page, speaking something brand new to you. And you're like, I never realized that before. Because the word of God is inexhaustible. Every time you've been digging into it and you think you hit bottom, it just, it just exponentially, you realize how much deeper it goes. It actually never stops. It never stops. So we get to Jericho here, and Rahab, the prostitute, is in there. And they send some spies into Jericho to check the place out. And she tells these Israelite spies, she tells them something interesting. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. So these people in Jericho, let's, 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 let's understand here. They're not worried about an army coming after them. Because even if you check the Wikipedia to this day... It talks about how they have found archaeologically these big old walls around Jericho. Rem remnants of big old walls that actually have fallen over somehow. But they weren't scared of the people. The people inside Jericho weren't scared of those Israelites with their, with their, with their little weapons or whatever. What they were thinking twice about was that they had heard about this king of kings and lord of lords who miraculously delivered this people through the Red Sea and out of Egypt. And they had seen and heard of evidence of God. So when they heard that God was dwelling among those people, they started to take notice. And Rahab confesses, we have heard and our hearts are melting in fear. Now, not enough to 
to repent, not enough to be like, you know what, you guys are right. They still had their walls going and they were ready to, ready to, to, to fight. So Joshua is here and God says something interesting to Joshua. Something that I don't know what I would have done if I was in Joshua's place. He tells Joshua, yes, now the gates of Jericho, they're securely barred because of the Israelites. Nobody's in and out. And the Lord says to Joshua, see, I have delivered. What tense is that? I will deliver. I am delivering. Or I have delivered. It's in the past tense. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Past tense. And if I was Joshua standing there and the Lord told me, hey, look at that city with the big walls and all those angry guys inside ready to like, you know, spear you to death or whatever, I would be very tempted if I was Joshua to be like, really? You delivered that? Past tense have delivered that to us already? Because it doesn't look like it. Sometimes our eyes are contradicting what God himself has told us in our ears. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. If I was Joshua, I would have been tempted to say, yeah, that one that's all sealed up tight and defensively postured. I don't know. But oftentimes God gives the promise before revealing the process. I have given you that already, he told them. Did it look like he gave it to them already? No, but God had spoken it. So what trumps what? Does the word of God trump your circumstance? Or is your circumstance higher than the word of God? Is something out of order? Because if God promises something, then God for sure cannot lie and will come through for you. So sometimes God gives that promise before revealing the process. And the story goes on a little bit here. It starts to unfold. And now the the Lord is speaking to Joshua. This is what the process is going to look like. March around the city. And I want anybody who ever served in the military, I would love you guys to listen a little carefully here. And let me know afterwards if this is a like valid uh, military strategy. Okay, how this sounds to you. Um, March around the city, the Lord says, once with all the armed men. Okay. Do this for six days. Okay. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. And when you hear them sound the long blast and the trumpets, have everybody in the army, have them shout like really loud. And then the wall of the city, that's going to collapse and the army can go up and everybody can go straight in. Does that sound like a valid military strategy to anybody here? Right? It sounds ridiculous. Let's be honest. It sounds ridiculous. Who would think that an army is going to just circle a city once a day, sit down, do their thing, circle again the next day, sit down, sleep overnight? Nobody's believing that that's a valid military strategy. But that is what God told his people to do. That was the process that they needed to trust in. It doesn't sound like a good plan. It sounds ridiculous. But sometimes even stepping out in faith like you, like, like you literally sitting here. If you step out in faith on something, would not the people in the world who don't know God, wouldn't they not look at you and be like, That's, what, what are you doing? Why, why do you believe what you say that you believe? 
Do you really believe that there's some like long bearded man in the sky that's sitting on a cloud that's listening to you when you pray? Do you really believe that? Because that sounds ridiculous, right? But sometimes, sometimes we just need to have confidence in who our God is. We have to have confidence in who our God is because confidence in the process comes from confidence in who your God is. These people maybe don't know God, so it doesn't make sense if you're going to step out in faith on something. Of course it's going to seem ridiculous to people who don't know God. But confidence in the process comes from confidence in who your God is because oftentimes with God, the plan is going to sound crazy. This is the same God that spoke to Abraham and Sarah and they were like in their 90s and he told them, y'all are going to have a kid. You're going to have a baby. And through that baby, all these nations are going to come. And they were 90 years old and they were like looking at themselves like how in the world is that going to happen in our physical bodies? It's like wrinkly, like wrinkly. But what? Was God's promise greater than even the circumstances that they found themselves in? God's power was greater than even that. God has power over death itself. We serve a supernatural God. So these guys, these Israelites, they put this crazy plan into action. And we see it here. They take that ark and they carry, this, carry it around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and they spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests, they took up the ark again. And the seven priests carrying those trumpets, they went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and they were blowing the trumpets. The armed guard went in front of those priests who were blowing their trumpets and the rear guard went behind the ark while the trumpets kept sounding. And that's the second day. On the second day, they marched around that city once and they returned to camp. They did that for six days. And if we read that and take a moment here, we see that them priests with their trumpets, they're announcing something. They're not announcing the army because the army's in the front and it's at the rear. But what the priests are announcing, they're blowing these trumpets around the city and the people are looking out from above, from above the walls and they're seeing this happen. They are blowing the trumpets, announcing the presence of God that is with them. You see, they're not worried about the army. They're not worried about Joshua, but they've heard about this God that's with them. And that's what makes them worried. They did this for six days, six days, marching around the city once with them trumpets going, announcing the presence of God being with them. It's not their plan that's going to conquer the city. It's not by their power or by their strength that's going to bring down these walls. It's only by the power of God that's with them. You see, God is in the midst of his chosen people and is fighting on their behalf. God fights on behalf of his chosen people. He does things that his people, me and you, that we can never do in our own strength. Has anybody ever done something or seen God do something in their lives? Has anybody ever seen God do something in their life that just blew you away because you're like, there ain't no way that was done by human beings. That was God doing something in my life. 
I look at my life, I, I talk about it, sometimes I feel like I talk about it too much, but I look at my life and I'm like, I remember being out there. I remember being on the street. I remember those things and the people that I was hanging out with and God delivered me in a way that only he could. I couldn't do that myself. In fact, my desire was not even to do that. God pretty much opened my eyes and brought me in. And I realized like there was an amazing father in heaven that loved me. Somebody who felt like they did, I didn't deserve love. Everything in my life was against God. And God was like reaching his hand out to me. And I learned through miraculous things in my life. And many of you have learned through miraculous things in your life. That God is in the midst of his chosen people. And fights on our behalf. But we have to kind of wrestle with that sometimes and take hold of that sometimes and remember when the situation looks bleak and them walls look too big, baby. That there's a God that you depend on because we can't depend on our own selves. And maybe you've heard these verses before, like the God is for you, not against you Bible verse. Or the you're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Anybody have maybe some of them... Uh, uh, some of them memorized about maybe the armor of God, about, about no weapon formed against you may prosper. I don't want to confess. I know these verses in my head, but sometimes I don't know them and believe them in my own heart because sometimes things you hear too many times can just become cliches and it exists up here, but it don't exist here. More than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I know that, but do I know that? Does my faith walk on that? Is my faith walking and activated by that living word of God? Do I act as if I really believe that no weapon formed against me can prosper and not even death can ultimately hold me down? My body's going to die someday, sure. But that does not mean that the enemy has the last word. It doesn't mean because God has the last word in all of our stories. So we need to trust and commit and sometimes recommit our lives to the one that has the power and fights on our behalf. Maybe some of us need to put a little faith into action in some of them scriptures that we've been hearing and reading. Hebrews 11.30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell. It's not because they had a great military plan. It's not because they had an amazing general that was leading them and had an awesome idea. It's not because all their weapons that they were just discharging on these walls ultimately led to these walls to fall over. It had nothing to do with that and everything to do with God. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. After the army had listened to the word of God, even when the process sounded a little ridiculous. They listened to that word. They lined up their actions with the promise. And they obeyed. And it's credit to them in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 that by faith those walls of Jericho fell. Hebrews 11, 1 to 3 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It says this is what the ancients were commended for. That's Joshua and the Israelites. They were commended for having faith, for believing in God, even when it didn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. But they believed the Lord was who he said he was. They believed the Lord had the power to do what he says he was going to do. And they stepped out in faith. 
It says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Meaning that God created creation out of nothing. There were no building blocks. He didn't need nothing because God is so powerful. All he needed was his word because he spoke and said, let there be light. And there was there was light. That's what it took. He created out of nothing. And it's by faith that we understand that. Plenty of people don't understand that. They don't have that faith. We understand that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. As spiritual warriors, we need to focus on this confidence a little bit. We need to focus on this confidence. Again, not in ourselves, but in what Christ has done for us. Our confidence is not in us, but in who we put our hope in, who is Jesus. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. You maybe have heard this verse before too. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Anchor for the soul. So say I'm a soul. Say I have a soul. It is anchored. There's a chain on my soul that is anchored, a big old anchor, firm and secure to my hope. It's not firm and secure to myself. I'm not carrying my own anchor around being like, I trust in myself. It is to something greater than me. Something greater that enters into the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies that we talked about before, behind the curtain. That's where Jesus, the one who goes before us, has entered on our behalf. Jesus passed through that curtain into the presence of the throne room of God. And we are attached by a firm anchor in that hope. I know this can get abstract, but these are very important scriptures and things to wrestle with in our own lives because once we start believing this stuff, once we start believing that we have access to the Father in heaven, the creator of the universe, the King of kings, and that that Father accepts our prayers not because of how awesome we are, but because of how great the Son is and what he's done on our behalf. And our prayers now go up like that incense before him and he hears us and chooses to listen to us. Prayer can change situations, but so many of us Christians forget that. It just becomes like cliche. Prayer is like cliche. I struggle with anxiety sometimes, full disclosure, and sometimes my prayers sound like this. Oh, God, please help me. Oh, please help me. Oh, God, um, uh, please help me. Please help me. Please help me. Uh, I'm going through something. Please help me. And I'm not even really looking at God. I'm like skipping like a, like a record. I'm just skipping. I'm stuck, and I'm looking at my circumstances and my own situation, and I'm missing what God has opened for me. I think a prayer in faith for me would be more like God the Father. Father, by that blood of Jesus who has enabled me to go before you, King of heaven, God, I ask you, Lord, that you would help me in this situation in my life, that you would help these strongholds in my life, them walls to fall down. If I'm praying in faith, I feel like I'm praying like that. Believe in, in confidence that God is who he says he is, that he's really with me as he says he's with me. That Holy Spirit, man, we don't need a pillar of flame and a pillar of cloud to follow around all the time. We don't need the presence of God locked away in a temple or behind a curtain. The Holy Spirit is in us as believers. 
And that is so much more valuable than following a disembodied cloud. Okay, just leave me wherever, I guess, whatever. Now we have like this communion with God. He dwells with us. Actually says it dwells inside of us. We have this crazy power inside of us that we don't even understand. The Bible says we have the power, the power of life and death is in the tongue. And maybe some of you have had some terrible things spoken of you as a child and you're dealing with still to this day and it was like death and you're wrapped in these chains of somebody telling you you're not good enough, you're stupid, you're never going to amount to nothing. Right? So we know that the tongue has the power of death. But with God inside of us, opening our eyes, bringing us to life in him, we now have that power of life in the tongue where you have the power to tell somebody about Jesus in a ridiculous circumstance and situation. And they maybe believe because of the words of your tongue and they come to life from the dead. That is the power of God dwelling inside of us now. Not in a temple, not behind a curtain, not in a room behind guards. Not only available to people who preach from stage or who wave a thing or who have certain kinds of ways to dress. It is available to anyone who will step out in confidence and faith and say, Jesus did this for me. Christ being in heaven. He has passed through our material world. We can no longer see him, but he's still alive, yes? We don't, we're not going to find his body somewhere. It didn't spend itself in a tomb and just fall apart and wither away to nothing and disintegrates. His body, Jesus himself, is still alive and has passed through material creation and now exists somewhere else where we can't quite see him. Right? It's almost as if this is like a veil, material world is almost like a veil that stops us sometimes from being able to see into what is really going on in the heavenly realms. The Bible says crazy stuff like the heavens and the earth are going to wear away like an old shirt, an old piece of clothing. I have some really old t-shirts, full disclosure, in my house. I've had for so long. And my wife was always like, you got to get rid of them. I'm like, no, there's still life left in them. But how many of you know if you have a t-shirt or something that you've had for years and years, you've been washing and washing and washing, slowly but surely, like little areas will start to get like almost transparent. And if you keep washing them and keep washing them, they'll have like holes in them. And if you keep washing them and keep washing them, all you have left is a collar, man. It's going to be gone. And scripture says that the heavens and the earth are actually going to pass away, something similar to that. They're going to fade away. The Bible says the heavens are going to roll up like a scroll What's on that other side? I believe that's where God in the heavenly is. That's beyond our current material existence. And Jesus has entered in there in a way that we don't quite understand. We can't quite see. But the anchor is in our hearts and goes beyond into the heavenly realms. And we can, through him, go before the king of all creation and ask him for things, even if they sound petty sometimes to our own ears. Like, why would God care about me and my addiction? Like, why would the one that created the universe care about my alcoholism? Why would the God that created the heavens and the earth care about me 
who is like trying desperately to fill this like brokenness that I got inside of me. That I'm going from like relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. And I almost feel like it's like sucking the life out of me. And I know better in my mind sometimes that only God can fill that in me. Trust me. God cares about your situations. He cares. You're like sheep and he's like the shepherd. He's not going to let some sheep walk away and be like, ha like go die in a hole somewhere. But sometimes you got to turn to him. You got to talk to him like that great shepherd, that great lover of your soul, your heavenly father who sent his son to lay down his life for you and for me that we could have the confidence and boldness and access to go before him and ask for things. To see the strongholds in our lives fall down. To make a way when there is no other way and only God can do it. But can we believe that? Hebrews 9, Christ has now become the high priest over all good things that have come. He's entered into that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven. Not the one on earth. Not the temple. Not any church on earth. He's entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven that was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. Struggle with these scriptures. It goes on. With his own blood, he did it. Back in the day, all these religions, it was all about blood, right? And even in the Bible, it says something very serious. It says, it says that the power of a, oh my gosh, life is in the blood, yes. And back in the day, it was, it was goats and bulls and sheep and stuff. And it was all about the blood of these animals. And that was how you were making these sacrifices. But Christ, with his own blood, a perfect life sacrificed, a perfect life willingly given up. By his blood, he entered into that holy of holies once and for all time and secured our redemption forever. It's by his work, by his perfect life, what he's done. The Bible is all about this. Ephesians 3.12, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently where? And in God's presence. It's so easy for this stuff to go over our heads. It's so easy to be like, oh, I've heard that before, and, and, and yawn and say, like, whatever. But if we don't struggle with these things, if we don't double down and look at these things in the face, we're going to miss out on the entire reason that Jesus came to allow us to be able to come boldly and confidently into the presence of God. Hebrews 4.16, we'll do this one. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I'm wondering if anybody's ever experienced a time of need. I'm wondering if anybody's ever experienced the walls in their life of some kind of a stronghold that they feel like they can't beat. Something that is not possible for ourselves to beat in our own strength. And I'm also wondering if anybody has ever heard this little voice in the back of their head that's kind of like scratching away at them, chipping away at them a little bit. And every time you mess up, that voice is keeping score. And every time you try to be better and mess up, that voice gets a little louder. And it's like, I told you, you couldn't do it. 
I told you you didn't have it in you. I told you you're going to screw it up again and you screwed it up again. If you try, you're going to screw it up again. Let's just watch. You're not good enough. You're a loser. And this little voice, if we listen to that voice, we're listening to the lie of the enemy because in God, the power of Jesus is able to tear down any stronghold. So if you've tried to battle this thing and you've fallen down seven times or even 77 times, I want to encourage you today. Maybe take these scriptures and go into that presence of God, that throne room, if you will. And take some moments and try to force yourself to understand the magnitude of what has been done for you to have that placement that the king of all kings would choose to listen to you and not just listen to you, but love you. And not just love you, but love you so much that he doesn't want to see you struggle and suffer like that. That we would remember that in Christ, he has the power to make those impossible things possible. We don't need to go around in circles anymore. Sometimes we're, we're going around in circles over the same scriptures again and again and again. And we've been around it 700 times, still going around, still going, but have yet to possess the promise that God has given us. You want to see walls fall down in your life? It's not going to be, not going to be because you're like, I'm going to do better this time. Probably not going to come that way. Sometimes what it takes is that full surrender. God, I can't do it. I can't. I struggle so bad with anxiety. I struggle so bad with drugs. I struggle so bad with identity issues. And it's like them walls are so high. When I look at it and I look at my situation, God, I feel like I can never be free. I can never conquer these things. So as we end, as we end, I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray. And it's not just about somebody praying for you. It's actually about you activating that faith yourself and you praying for you as well. Because this is not a thing that depends on some man of God that came and prayed for me. It's actually something that's open for you. I will gladly pray for you. But it's open to you as well. If you put your faith in a man, a man is going to let you down. That's why you're supposed to put your faith in God because God will never let you down. So Father, today as we close out, God, I just pray for your, no, Father, in the name of Jesus and the one who has made the way to come before you by his blood is not because of me and how good I am or my position in life. It is only because of the work, the finished work of Jesus on the cross that I can come before you, Father. So in confidence, I'm trying to be confident, God. In boldness, I'm trying to be bold, God. I'm trying to believe your word and step out in faith, God, that you would heal, Lord. 
our hearts. That you would tear down the walls in our life. That you would cause us, Father, to have a relationship with you on a whole new level. That our prayer life would be activated in faith, God. And that we would see miracles today. In the mighty name of Jesus, I, I just speak freedom for people who are struggling with alcoholism, drug addiction, relationship stuff, sex, pornography, whatever. All those uncomfortable things we don't want to talk about in church that actually maybe we need to talk about in church. Your peace, God, that surpasses all understanding is what your Bible says. Your word. I pray for that peace in the hearts of people that need it right now. It goes beyond their understanding of their own circumstance. And it's rooted. Let it be rooted and anchored firmly. And that hope that is only in you, Jesus. And that mighty name of Jesus, God, I pray. Amen. So today, I do want to make <laughs> always awkward to come out of that and be like, all right, let's talk about whatever. Uh, today, um, it's the, it's the I'll just, I'm just going to follow your prompts. All right, so we got the, the, the slides here, the new here and the forgiven. If you, if you are in one of those two categories, if you text that number with those words, we'd love to kind of get in touch with you and give you that digital gift card to Dunkin' Donuts. Um, Above and beyond all this stuff, honestly, I want to make myself available. I don't even care. I, I want to make myself available after service. Not that I'm an amazing, powerful man of God. But I, if anybody has pray, wants prayer or wants somebody to agree with them in prayer, I, I'll, I'll be up here after service. I just want to hang out. Maybe if anybody else on the prayer team wants to come up, I'd love to pray for anybody that, that just really feels like they, they need that in their lives. All right. Um, we are going to have uh, burgers and hot dogs out in the back there going this direction. They're probably about ready just about now. Um, grab your kids, head back there, have a, have a little lunch in the house for the 12 o'clock people. Uh, thank you for, for coming out to that 12 o'clock. And then it's, um, it's, it's, my, it's my pleasure again to, to be able to speak a blessing straight from the pages of the Bible. This is actually interesting because this, this blessing that we speak every week ha has built into the Hebrew there the sense that you're going before a king. And when it says, may the Lord lift his face, his countenance, which means face, may the Lord lift his countenance towards you. It's almost like when you walk in, if you're walking into a king on the throne and he turned to address you and give you his attention. Because a king don't have to do that. A king could just ignore you and you're calling, you're like, whatever. So I want to speak this blessing over you today. If you guys would go to your feet. It goes like this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may he give you his peace. Go in peace, Valley family. We'll see you next time. <laughs>